old, old man waves. Damn you, old man! So we're at the 50 mark. We have your girl, Lois Lane. The undisputed queen of DC Comics. Um, If a self-described Superman fan does not like Lois Lane, I do not trust them. Um, You know, Lois Lane suffered from the Silver Age like everyone else did. Um, They turned her into the you know, kind of ditzy girl who wanted to marry Superman and, you know, always had a, you know, a, a like a Betty and Veronica style rivalry with Lana Lang. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Action Comics, number one, she is being uh, sexually harassed by a guy who's like, hey, come on, dance with me, dance with me. And she's like, dude, fuck off. And she slaps him. And um, that kind of behavior in 1938 was uh, not what you would expect. And I listened to the um, radio show from the 1940s when I worked in the warehouse. It was just, you know, 12 hours a day slugging comic books. So I downloaded, like, almost the entire catalog of The Adventures of Superman. And Joan Alexander, she was the voice of Lois throughout. She did the Fleischer comics. She came back in the 70s to voice the character. She was the voice of Lois Lane. And even in the radio show, she's not putting up with bullshit. You know, she has the womanly foils of the time you know she's a little put off by things that are super violent to look at but there's a scene where um in one of the episodes she and jimmy are about to be sacrificed to something they're basically about to be thrown off of a cliff and jimmy's freaking the hell out and lois is like oh my god die with some fucking dignity will you (laughs) and you know once we get into the bronze age of comics you know, we start to see kind of Lois become a human person again. Yeah. I, and and I, with me being a new 52, like, DCer, like, seeing her basically, like, tell her tell her dad to fuck off and, like, this is what I'm going to yeah. do. I'm not going to date who you want me to date. I'm pretty much badass motherfucker. And, like, with Superman, with Wonder Woman, it was like, I got to see Lois Lane in a whole new light. I got to see her mm-hmm. not attached to Superman. Yeah. And, you know, um, even throughout the 80s and 90s, um, we see Lois do a lot as well. There's actually a four-issue miniseries. Um, it was published in the early 90s. It's called um, Metropolis SC, it's Special Crimes Unit. It actually focuses on Maggie Sawyer. It is the first comic book to focus solely on a openly gay lead. It's groundbreaking at the time, but Lois is a secondary character in the book, and she and Maggie have to do a lot of stuff. Now, granted, the book has never been collected. It's never been released digitally. I had to dig up this. I had to, you know, find the single issues a number of years ago. But it's kind of Lois at her peak because she's doing that thing she does where she kind of like gets herself in a little over her head sometimes and has to claw her way out herself. Like, you know, sure, there's Superman in the book a little bit because it's a Metropolis-based book, but... I think it's a really good example of, you know, not only the friendship between Lois and Maggie and uh, just Lois's tenacity. And she is a superhero in her own right. I think think she's the peak of a non-powered, non-superhero character having intense emotional strength. 
And I'm not talking about, you know, comic book, air quotes, emotional strength with women, where they're just so sweet and supportive. Like, no, 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 no. Lois, Lois gets shit done. Like, she knows her wheelhouse. Like, uh, Greg Rucka recently wrote a Lois, Lois Lane Maxi series. And on her laptop, she's typing up these articles. Uh, she gets thrown out of the White House press event for, you know, asking the tough questions. And she's got a sticker on the back of her on the back of her computer saying this machine kills fascists, and it's like that is that image is Lois Lane personified. Yeah, not the um, and oh hey come also help, not the whole hey come help me um, Superman you're my only hope kind of shit. Yeah, no, um, like Margot Kidder is undeniably the best Lois Lane. Uh, I know everybody likes Erica Durant, but Margot Kidder is the top. Um, I also really like Amy Adams, and. I, I I like Zack Snyder as a director, but I want to shake him and go, can we stop with Dead Lois already? <laughs> I hate the Dead Lois trope. I really do. Because I feel like not only is it a disservice to, you know, one of the, the second oldest Superman character, but also the kind of Clark himself. Yeah, like, I, I understand that. losing the love of his life would destroy him, but it kind of makes it seem like the woman is the only thing tethering his sanity. It's different from when Injustice, where it's just like, fuck, I actually caused this, as opposed yeah. to like, oh, she just died and that's it. Um, number 49, I actually, so I'm going to say this, I wish I would have put Lois Lane in the top 25 after like listening, listening to you talking about it. Um, she should have been in the top 25. Um, <laughs> especially considering... Um, next up, I have Jessica Drew. My, I'm I'm dyslexic, and my brain misread that as Nancy Drew, and I'm like, I don't know if she's a comic book character, but I like where she is on the list. <laughs> Dear God! All right, I'm moving. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a Nancy Drew, and I feel like Jessica Drew could be Nancy Drew on a bad day. God! All right, I'm moving on. Number forty eight, <laughs> Hank McCoy. He is a terrible, uh, terrible, terrible human being, but God damn it, that terribleness makes him great. I feel like he gives really good hugs, though, if that makes any sense. He probably does give amazing hugs. Like, he, like again, he's, he's a big fucking cat. Um, I would probably also have to resi- re- resist the urge to pet him. Which I'm pretty sure every, I'm pretty sure every like, um, homo sapien does. is like, right. can, can I pet you? Because you see something that fuzzy, and it's kind of like, I want to pet. Yeah. Can we also? Can I also mention that I love that during the Hellfire Gala, uh, everybody from X Factor essentially just had a one piece tuxedo. Right. <laughs> uh, number forty seven. We have Emma Frost. The um, step on me queen of the X Men. The what? Step on me queen of the X Men. All right, you have to break that down for me. Oh, um, it, it's you know kind of a woman that's uh, so sure of herself. Um, so rightfully confident will whoop your ass that if she steps on you, you'd say thank you. Oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. Uh, number 46, we have Bane. I have uh, DC a while back released a stuffed animal line of the Super Pets. And you know, Bane famously has his teddy bear, Osito. Yes. And I, I have Osito, and he wears a little Bane mask. He is my teddy bear. I'm not even mad at that. Um, number 45, we have Catwoman. Love her. I, I, I love Selena Kyle. I think she's underrated in the sense that too many writers write her as Batman's side piece when, you know, it's, it's like Spider-Man and Black Cat. 
you know, Felicia Hardy is so much more than just, I will not say what I was going to say. I um, say, why not? I mean, Catwoman's more than a cock sleeve for Bruce Wayne. You're right. And I will say I feel like too, Go ahead, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I feel like too many writers just want sexy cat lady. I love how, is it Tom Taylor? Am I getting that, the name right? Who wrote the, um, the quote-unquote wedding of it all? Tom yeah. King. Tom King, okay. Tom Taylor? What the fuck is Tom Taylor? Um, uh, Tom Taylor writes Injustice. Uh, all New Wolverine. Oh, yes, yes, sir. thank you. So Tom King did a really good job of it because he made Catwoman like, Catwoman was the reason why Bruce Wayne became, was broken and then was uh, fixed. So yeah. like she made he made Catwoman like an integral part of Bruce Wayne's night uh, life, not just as you said a Coxley. I think um, a really interesting recent Catwoman run actually takes place during the New Fifty Two, and like it's hilarious that I say that because I very famously hate the New Fifty Two. I mean, um, it's, it's 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 either really good or really awful. Yeah. The books that are good are fantastic, and the books that are awful, Cough Wonder Woman, are awful. <laughs> um, there is nothing redeeming. Uh, nope, I'm, I'm getting caught up in there. There's a reason why Greg Rucka specifically was brought back during Rebirth to fix Wonder Woman. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, um, let me just say that Greg Rucka wrote in a, a fantastic run of Wolverine. Oh, yeah. Always that, that man is, he, he's never written a bad book. But then again, if I also met him, it would be 10 minutes of me sobbing hysterically. Like, it was Greg Rucka and Derek Robertson, the dude who did the uh, art for The Boys. And he, yes. he drew Wolverine as like this big, hairy, fucking troll of a person. But then, like, Greg Rucka turned around and made him like this really sympathetic person who tipped $50 on a $15 fucking bar tab and like, yeah. and like he was just he like he found out that in this particular series he found out that a group of guys were taking women and enslaving them and Wolverine killed every single fucking one of them mm-hmm. and didn't even care and well let me rephrase that so he went to and then he did this whole it was this beautiful beautiful moment with Wolverine and Nightcrawler where he's talking, and woman goes, I killed 56 men. And he goes, did they deserve it? He goes, every single one of them. And it was just this, he goes, well, what would you do if it wasn't? And he goes, he goes, would you stop me? And like, and they had this moment where they looked at each other for a second, and Nightcrawler goes, no, but I died trying. Yeah. And, I was like, and my dad once described Wolverine to me as a violent and troubled man, but he's not a bad man. That's exactly, that's, that's 100% accurate. And this is one where yep. people go, oh, Wolverine is just... I'm like, then you've never read a Wolverine comic book. Stop right no. now. Because Wolverine is actually one of the deepest... I would say he's one of the five deepest characters in comic books, period. Yeah. And there is um, the 1980s Wolverine book. There is a bit where... Karma is my absolute favorite Marvel character. I know she's like a Q-list character. But... Um, he actually runs across Karma in Madripoor, and he he recognizes her, and he's like, wait, no, she smells familiar. And, um, you know, he's she's someone that he's run across at the mansion before, he's familiar with her. And it kind of softens the murder rage a bit, where he's like, no, I have an inherent emotional connection to this person. I can't do, th- like, I need to calm down. And she actually gets him to calm down a bit, 
you know, once she shakes him out of that a bit, and then, you know, she does, like, her possession stuff Karma to help him out. It's super dope. Karma is a super underrated character. I didn't know a lot yes. about her. I didn't, because I hated the new movies for a while because I hated how they were written. <laughs> there was a moment in Uncanny X-Men, I think it was Fraction who wrote it, but she was beating the shit out of these, like, um, Hellfire goons or whatever, and they were, like, mm-hmm. basically essentially, like, mutant skinheads. And she was beating the shit out of him, and Cyclops, like, telekinetic, like, um, connected to whoever, Emma Frost, was like, hey, I need you to, to back up. And she was like, aww, but I'm beating up skinheads. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got to meet Chris Claremont, who was her creator, and I had her first appearance, and I got him to sign it. And I made the joke, you know, I'm, I'm flustered, because, I mean, this is Chris fucking Claremont, like, king of the X-Men. And I'm like, I am a really big fan of Karma. And he looks up at me, and he smiles, and goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> So, um, I'm going to say this. I will never forgive him for X-Men the end. Yeah, I know. Um, give me two seconds. I just got to go pee, okay? Yep, no worries. And we are back. We have peed. We have got water. We have talked to our significant others. And <laughs> we're at number 43 with Harley Quinn, in which I feel really feel that you think she's too high on him. Actually, no. Really? Given her recent evolution, I mean... Now, we've talked about Laura Kinney already, where, you know, she was introduced for the cartoon specifically as a way to kind of portray abusive relationships to children. Yes. Because, you know, the cartoon, it, uh, it became a little too, the message got lost. I'll, I will summarize it that way. But I will say Palmiati and Connor have done amazing work with building Harley as a singular character. And can we please... For the love of God, stop saying Joker and Harley Quinn are, are relationship goals. Like, they're not. Oh, like, so me and my wife did a costume one day. She went as Dr. Harley and Quinzel, and I went as Dr. Joker. We went at it as a joke. They are not relationship goals. Joker is a giant piece of shit who should have been like... There are there are a few combo characters who I think are beyond redemption. If it wasn't for White Knight, I would say Joker's beyond redemption. But let's be honest, if he was killed, then I don't think anybody would care. No. I Personally, I think the Joker can be a bit of a lazy writer's tool. I sent you her response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I, th- I feel like the Joker can be a bit of a lazy writer's tool because, like, haha, Batman and Joker... I almost think um, Tom King was the first person to get it right, where he was talking about how they're pretty much the same person, just different ends. Yeah. The different- I feel like uh, Scott Snyder's Batman book in the New 52, that was real good. Because Batman is pushed to the point where he essentially commits murder-suicide. Yeah, that was... It, it's funny, because that was my introduction to Batman in general. A friend of mine was like, yo, you need to read Zero Year. Like, oh yeah, and, I, and that was my introduction to Batman because I hated Batman for years because of the internet, and because I hated hey, he wins because he's Batman. I'm like, stop it! You sound like a fucking idiot. And they were serious. the prep time argument makes me angry. Huh? Said so the prep time argument makes me angry. And and it's funny whenever I say that to people, I go, I hate to break this to you with prep time. T'Challa beats everybody. There's not a person in the world. Oh yeah, he can't beat the prep time. But then again. Like, so the, again, this goes to the whole thing. Who wins in a battle between the Amazonians and the uh, Dora Milaje? Amazons. In my, they, I, I say the Star- Amazons specifically because they have more magic on their side. And that was my thing. But then again, and, 
you know, Hippolyta is, and they have centuries, if not thousands of years more combat experience than the Dora Milaje. That's another thing that adds to that. It, but then again, it's just like, how much does the Wakandan technology really take and hold and how much does that matter? But if I had, if I was, if someone was like, bet right now, I'd go, oh, the Amazon. Amazon, yeah. Hands down. Um, number 42, we have Billy Butcher. Honestly, I love to hate Billy Butcher. You have to, because he was really, when it comes to villains, if someone wrote it, wrote if someone did a list of the, the grimiest comic book villains of all time, and Billy Butcher isn't in your top 10, you're wrong. Oh, yeah. You're wrong. He, Billy Butcher comic is Billy a piece Butcher, of shit. He is an absolute bastard. And he's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the TV adaptation has softened him a little bit. A little bit? Yeah, a lot of it, actually. Um, they've softened him, made him a bit more palatable, but he's still an absolute bastard. And I think, honestly, that's just Carl Urban being amazing. Oh, Carl Urban can do fucking... He... Oh, my God. Judge Dredd. It, yes. Judge Dredd. You mean Future Punisher? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he, would, he would be perfect, though. I am... The law. I was like, "Shit, I got goosebumps." <laughs> right. He's just. He was so fucking good in that. He was good as um, the executioner. Like he could be funny. He could be dramatic. He could be everything. And watching. Do him you want to know? Which, huh? You want to know something horrifying? I'm listening. He was Cupid on Xena. <laughs> Xena what, warrior print. He, he what was are Cupid. they streaming on? Xena, I have no idea if Xena's streaming anywhere. I need to watch that. I'm not watching Hercules because fuck um, that dude. Who Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. yeah, fuck him. Um, but if, I, w- I like to say that if I wasn't, you know, I feel like, you know, I feel like I was born gay. But if I wasn't, it would have been Xena, Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. Just, you know, my dad really had a thing for like women who could kick your ass. And I see now where I get it. I mean... <laughs> Like, I, I dig it. Do you remember the Simpsons episode where Lucy Lawless... I thought you said Gina couldn't fly. Said, Gina can't fly, but I'm Lucy Lawless. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, number 41, we have Ben Grimm. I, we, we've ta- we touched on him a little bit. Um, you know, very strong emotional connection to him now that my dad has passed. Um, dad would have loved to have seen that... Um, he, was, he was already in the home at this time, but he would have loved to have seen that... Um, Ben and Alicia got married. He would have loved to see that. Uh, rest in peace to a soldier, a legend, and your dad who Aww, helped mold help mold you who you are. Like I, I, my grandmother is my mother. Like she was the person who raised me. She not raised me, but she was the one who gave me the love of writing. She's the one who always told me, like you know, basically like go out and do the things you gotta do. But she's also been the one who's kept me accountable for a lot of things. And she also put me on. We want. We, we used to go see movies every Sunday. And among those movies was Finding Forrester, which nursed my love of writing. And number two was a movie I talked about last week on my podcast, was Tu Wong Fu. I love that movie. <laughs> um, but like, she was never afraid to show to like bring me to things that would help expand my mind. So yeah. when it comes to things like that, I really understand that. My grandmother's still alive, thank Odin, but she's she's nearing the top. She's, yeah. Uh, number forty, we have Nightcrawler, who honestly, absolutely, go ahead, absolutely love him. Um, I think you know his parentage creates a beautiful duality. 
And um, when they were voting to put Destiny on the Quiet Council here recently, and he basically says, I don't know how I feel about this, but since it'll make you happy, Mother, I will vote yes for you. Like, how dope was that? Like, he, it, it was like great. He consistently forgives her. Yeah. Because, you know, and Mystique, obviously, not the best mother, <laughs> but you, her affection for Kurt is very, very real. Yeah. I mean, that it, that is her son. Do you know about, um, I'm sending you a text, do you know about um, Destiny's hate for Gambit? I, vaguely. Uh, I sent you a text about how Destiny feels about him. It's just her, like, stone-faced in her mask, and then it's her holding up her strangling arm going, hate you. <laughs> That's brilliant. And, but, it's but, to, be, but it's accurate. It's like, you know, no one is good enough for my daughter. Yeah. Um, number 39, we have Iceman. Um, I think he is by far the most underrated Omega-level X-Men that we've ever seen, considering that yes. he literally froze hell. He threw the entire world into winter. He's found ways to create versions of himself where, that he can control or not control and just let run freely. And it's not just ice. It's hydro control. So he yeah. could literally control water if he wanted to. So I would love to see him and Mera go at it. Oh my god, that'd be great. Um... I honestly think it ends in sex. <laughs> to be honest with you, if we're being honest, yeah, yeah, it, I honestly feel like it ends in sex. But um, the Marauders have really evo- um made evolution to Iceman's character. He yeah. becomes stronger, but I think it even goes further than that. In the Jason Aaron run of Wolverine and the X Men, Wolverine had a talk with Iceman. And he said, "Hey, I need you to step up. You've been everyone's friend. You've been everyone's like." favorite X-Men, but I need you to, I need more from you. And this is, Jason Aaron's one of those writers, like, he can do no wrong for me. Oh, Jason Aaron's writing this? I'm on it. Uh, <laughs> it's like him and Al Ewing are the two people where, oh, and let me just say this, fuck you, Marvel, for canceling Guardians of the Galaxy because it was too gay. Yeah. I don't, yeah. it was funny, um, someone caught on to that, and they was just like, and they actually used me as an example, and it was like, and they were talking about, um, the X Men being canceled, um, Guardians of the Galaxy being canceled, and it goes as writer Mark A. W. Lynch said, the issue was the series was too gay for Marvel to keep, and I was like, thank you for quoting me right. I mean, they did something similar with Asgardians of the Galaxy. I got canceled right quick. Again, like if something is too gay or too black or too fucking Latin, they cancel it. And while I understand the idea of quote unquote having to play the game. You shouldn't fucking have to. Guardians no. of the Galaxy was a damn good fucking um, series. Who gives a shit that most of the characters were fucking gay or queer or whatever? It was a great fucking series. Like, and, that, and it pisses me off that people can't look past their own personal biases to accept something. Let's take me, for example. I don't like religion. I think, I think the idea of religion is a great thing. I, I really feel that camaraderie and community 
in congregation is a great thing for people. Like, we can learn from each other. Just the idea of just talking to people. Like, podcasting with people. And I don't give a shit if this podcast only does 15 views. Having a conversation with you makes it all worth the fucking time. Because we're no, having uh-huh. a conversation. I'm learning more about you. I'm learning more about comic books. So that's great for me. And that's what I think the problem is with religion. They People put too much towards their god or their deity to realize that you're supposed to really be talking about people and making the world a better place. But I'm on a soapbox. Um, <laughs> Iceman. What I, like to say, what I like to say is I, I had a really intense Catholic upbringing. Um, weirdly enough, my mom perfectly fine with me being gay. Super Catholic. I don't question it. Um, but I always like to kind of poke at these people. And I am obsessed with the Bronze Age. You've seen my Twitter. I'm sure you've probably seen that. But there I, was I never would have guessed. Never would have guessed. <laughs> but the Minoan civilization of Crete, you know, like King Minos and the Minotaur, um, they had their own religion, their own everything. We don't know what it is, though, because we can't decipher their language. And I'm waiting. I, I am waiting for that to be the one true religion and everyone on Earth is just fucked. <sighs> Uh, I feel like you need to come on and you, you just need to do a whole uh, uh, episode about religion. I oh god, okay, I'm I'm, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> I, Iceman, thirty nine, too high, too low. Eh, put him a, a shade too high. A shade for too me. high. So you put him in the forties, fifties, probably in the fifties. Okay, uh, John Constantine at number thirty eight. Where would you rank him? I think, you know, honestly, maybe like 34, 35. I think, I think in this range is a good spot for him because he's a very solid character, but I think he does better in team settings. Hellblazer is a great fucking book, but I think he has a bit more room to breathe if he has others he can play off of, like um, John and Zatanna. Can I tell you how much I love how popular he's become in the animated dumb shows? I love it. I love um, We have to talk about it. It's like, oh my god, my ex is here. You, you had, you, you had sex with Holly Quinn. No, I'm not a lunatic. And then it's King Shark. <laughs> I like that we're getting to the point where, in very small doses, um, we get to see a bisexual man be unapologetically bisexual. Oh yeah, uh, I love John Constantine. He does not give a flying fuck. Period. I have know. you ever read Bombshells? DC Comics Bombshells? I have not, because I didn't know if it was an actual comic book or if it was just variants. Uh, yes. The, it, it's a Wonka bar situation. The comic was made to promote the sale of the merchandise. And then the comic book shot well beyond the mer- it, merchandise. It is over 50 issues between both series. And we actually, the basic premise is the women of the DC universe are in their superhero forms and they're fighting World War II. That is the basic premise of the book. Yeah. And literally everyone is gay. More, there are more gay characters than straight characters. I have done the math. But um, we see Constantine and he's romantically linked to Zatanna. And at one point they are captured by the access powers, but he's there because he's bisexual and they make you know, homophobic remarks to him, and Zatanna's getting ready to, like, go at it, and he's like, eh, maybe we should wait for a second. But the <laughs> fact that, you know, he is romantically attached to a woman, but we still get to see that bisexual side of, and it's just, I like that we're getting to that point, because, you know, bi men are probably the least explored, like, uh, sexual, we don't see a lot of bisexual men, you barely see any gay men. 
but um, I like that we're getting to the point where Constantine can just be by. I think Legends of Tomorrow has done that very well. Where, like, you know, he hooks up with Sarah Lance, and then, you know, he has his boyfriends. Is Legends of Tomorrow worth watching? The first season tried to be serious in the vein of the rest of the CW shows. Um, second season throughout just really stopped caring. Um, it is basically... It, it's ridiculous. It, it is absolutely ridiculous. It's stupid. It's a great time. Like It's a great time. That's all I need to know. I'll, yeah. And I, it, love, and I love the dude who played Constantine. I think he's actually flawless for the role. Yeah. And they do a lot of... Um, they do what the CW has been doing a lot. They pull in uh, several D-list characters. You know, you have, like, uh, Captain Cold. You have um, Zari, who is um, the character Isis. But they don't they don't call her Isis. Yeah. But it, it's it's the meta show. You know, it's kind of that self-aware meta commentary. Gotcha. Uh, number 37, we have Thanos. I've never been extremely partial to Thanos because I basically think he's like shitty dark side. <gasps> I know, I know. I actually, when we went to see Endgame in theaters, I actually wore a dark side t-shirt and I got a lot of really shitty looks. Of course. you Can I tell you that I would have saw that? If I would have seen you like doing I didn't know you, I'd have looked at you and just would have given you a nod like, my man. <laughs> I also, just to be a dick, I also wore a Wonder Woman shirt to see Captain Marvel. I'm not mad at that. Who wins in that yeah. fight? Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel? Yeah. Wonder Woman. Okay, we're, 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 we're... You know, Carol has some cosmic power, but I think uh, the lasso, the unbridled... Str- I think she's a soldier, you know, she... But I think where Diana has the edge is years her mostly indestructible... I was a year her of, mostly indestructible weaponry and the combat experience. I was also going to say years of experience, like the same reason uh-huh. she could dorm a lot. Um, yeah. Number 36, we have Jessica Jones. I think this is a good spot for her. She's an incredibly dynamic character who we've seen take a bunch of different narrative directions. Um, I didn't see the TV show, however, so I really can't speak to that. But I am excited for the new Gail Simone book. It's called Oh God, The Variants, I think. I can't. I, you told me about that early in the show, and I can't fucking wait for this. I think the news dropped like yesterday or the day before. I'm gonna have to write about that like soon. Like I said, if, if you if you would allow me to do a fucking article on it, I will send you. A, I will email you a Google Docs uh, tomorrow. Uh, number thirty five, we have Bruce Banner slash the Hulk. If it was my personal opinion, uh, Bruce Banner would be probably in the seventies because I don't think Bruce Banner or the Hulk are that interesting. Not really. I think the Hulk can be interesting under very particular circumstances. Immortal, and, Hulk, Immortal Hulk's the only time I found them interesting. And then and yeah. in this new uh, Hulk series where Bruce Banner is a piece of shit. But otherwise, yeah. I don't really find him like... I'm a, I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to classic literature. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one of my favorite books. And the Hulk is supposedly supposed to be a comic book version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But it's misrepresented. Dr. Jekyll is fully in control of himself when he is Mr. Hyde. There's no split personality thing. It's just him in a different form. I didn't know that. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware of this. In the, it, 
It basically, um, Dr. Jekyll has some kind of uh, very unspecified, like, base depravity or base urge or whatever, because it's the Victorian period. So he creates an alter ego that he can go out and do these things, but still keep his respectable personality of Dr. Jekyll. Can I also just say that, like, this is one of the reasons why I love the Moral Hulk as much as it did. We find out that his um, DID was way before he even became the Hulk. Yeah. And I love the fact that they really dove into that because, like, all of this stuff that makes him the Hulk is something that was predestined to, for him to be. It just so happened that the Gamma made him a monster, quote-unquote. Yeah. And, like, Devil Hulk is something... Devil Hulk is one of the scariest things that we've seen in comic books. Like, he's just... Oh, yeah. He's everything... Like, you know what it is? It's like you give the Hulk the intelligence of Nick Fury. And that's what yeah. you get. Uh, number 34, we have Barbara Gordon. Now, is this specifically Barbara Gordon, or is this Barbara Gordon Batgirl? Oh, this this encompasses all Barbara Gordon. This is okay. Oracle, this is Batwoman, this is Barbara Gordon. Because I think Barbara I, Gordon is super important to the idea yes. of women in comic books. I think she's super critical to the Bat family. Um, I would go as far as to say she's one of the one of the four most important people in the Bat family, period. That's not yes. including people who don't wear a Bat symbol. I think um, in Tynan's detective run, the supposed, the alleged trial of Batwoman, where the Bat family minus Cassandra Kane and Kate Kane get together to talk about basically what to do about Kate. And they all have their opinions. And <laughs> what, get Barbara, their asses whooped? <laughs> the only and part- Barbara whoops <laughs> all of their asses. She takes Bruce to task. And you notice Bruce is silent throughout the entire thing because he knows and respects the fact that Barbara is the only one that can convincingly call him on his bullshit. The others have tried, I would, but he... I would argue he's the one that... Um, Barbara is the one that Bruce respects the most. There are three people... There are, there are three people that... No, excuse me. There are four people that, that um, Bruce actually respects in terms of their opinion. Barbara Gordon, unfortunately Kate Kane because he hates the way she thinks, but he respects mm-hmm. the shit out of her. Um, it's Alfred. Yes. Um, Barbara Gordon, Alfred, Kate Kane, and um, Nightwing. That's it. Yeah. There is and no I one, think... And he, you know what it is? And I feel like he respects Jason Todd's opinion, but he also hates it because it's so much like him. It's like, mm-hmm. me and my mother don't get, a, I haven't spoken to my mother in four years, but one of the reasons when, before she became a raging alcoholic, we didn't get along because we were so much alike. And it was funny as hell when Jason Todd was like, you know, I'm going to do my own thing, and you're going to have to accept that I break the law. And Bruce laughed at him, takes his mask off and goes, I break and enter every day of my life. You think I give a shit about the law? Yeah. And I think, you know, Barbara was, you know, she was introduced to um, essentially get girls to buy Batman comics too. And, you know, she had her own book for the longest time and she transformed beyond that. And there's the infamous urban legend surrounding the killing joke where, and it's an urban legend. Names have not been introduced. Do we even need to discuss that? Because... Yeah, when you know the the infamous cripple the bitch line. Yeah, where that's one of 
no, like, it's an urban legend at this point. But I think special praise needs to go to John Ostrander and the, and the late Kim Yale, who took this character and went, no, no, she's not just going to do, we are going to take something and create more. Yeah. And that's where Oracle came in. And, oh, God, help me, Chuck Dixon, uh, uh, <laughs> in his Birds of Prey run. Um, Chuck actually Austin, writes that's a, his name. It is Chuck Austin. Chuck Dixon. No, Chuck Austin is the, the really bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, no, um, I feel it's hilarious given how I, I disagree with Chuck Dixon's political beliefs and just social views. But he writes everything so super gay. Like, he's, like even, when, even when he's writing two men, it's like, how do you not see how fucking homoerotic this is? But... Mary? Yeah. Almost everything about comic books is homoerotic. No, but I mean, this is the, sen- the sense of, I would tell, you know, if you remove all context, I would tell you that this was deliberate. I don't think Dixon knows he's doing it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, he probably doesn't know he's doing it because it's like, Let's be honest. My number one is totally bisexual. There's no way. Oh. There's no and ifs and asses about it. Like there's no way she's not bisexual. Um, oh yeah. Number thirty three. We have Spawn. Um, I love me some Spawn. A lot of this had to do with what he did for the comic book genre and how, as you pointed out, with Hellboy, he helped keep the lights on for a company. Oh yeah. He's also one of my favorite characters in Mortal Kombat. Um, I do love, and the you know Keith David is on point with his spawn. Well, Keith David is a is a voice acting god, so. Oh, god, absolutely! Like I want him to play Thanos. I'm not Thanos. I want him to voice Galactus. Yes. Oh my god. Um, oh, shit. So not we have but, another, we have another um um article. Do my top my top fifty um my actors that I have an article I did. 30 actors who should play comic, who play comic book roles. I can't wait for you to do that. But anyway, sorry, you were going to say. Oh, I just... The Spawn was one of those few ultra-edgy characters that was introduced in, you know, that period of the late 80s, early to mid-90s period, where edgy was the big thing. I feel like Spawn is one of the few characters where it actually worked, and I think that is mostly in part due to Neil Gaiman. You know, Todd McFarlane had a great framework, but I feel like Gaiman did a lot of the early heavy lifting. Yeah. Cough, cough, Angela, cough, cough. Um, <laughs> No, when I saw her, you know, when the lawsuit was finally done and I saw that he got possession of Angela, I'm like, oh my god, my favorite Spawn character is coming. Can I, can I just say that I love her relationship with Thor? Oh god, it's great. She's like, look, I know we're related, but I don't really know you. Leave me alone. Um. Yeah, and then like, but her and Frigga have, Freya have become like, have this like great relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 32, we have John Stewart. My second favorite Green Lantern. Who's your favorite? I it um it used to be John Stewart, but Jessica Cruz has since surpassed him because she was written so beautifully in Rebirth. I mean, you have a Green Lantern who has all the will, the potential for all the willpower in the world, who is like paralyzed by her anxiety to the point she didn't leave her apartment for two years. Yeah. Can I just say that her getting a yellow lantern ring makes so much fucking sense, and I can't wait to see Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Her and fear. Oh, yeah. Um, But I have my little Jon Stewart pop. I have a Green Lantern problem. A big one. 
I um, have, you know, those those big ass lanterns that light up when you put the ring to them. Yeah, yeah, I I have one of those. Um, when um when when um when because I can't lift anything because my back surgery. When my wife and whoever else moves the couch to this, we uh, I'm calling this room Krakoa. Nice. Uh, it, it's funny. Everyone who's a comic um, fan loves it, and. Like, I can't wait to, like, decorate all this stuff with all sorts of, like, nerd stuff and all that. Like, I can't wait to, like, put, like, Green Lantern shit all over the place because uh, my favorite, it, Jessica Cruz is, I think, the most underrated, but my favorite is easily the red-headed dickhead. <laughs> oh, God, Guy Gardner. He is, like... The worst! Honorable. <laughs> He's, like, you remove him from the rest of them, and he is probably my favorite. He mooned Batman. I mean, come the fuck on. Like, but I also love that he just doesn't like. You know, it's funny because he probably has the most willpower out of all of them. But oh, absolutely! Bat, but Batman knocking him out with one punch was one of my favorite moments in DC Comics history. Because and it's mm-hmm. not even the punch; it's Blue Beetle just laughing hysterically, going "One punch, one punch!" <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, number thirty-one. You got J. Jonah Jameson. And let me just say this: I'm going to read this specifically. J. Jonah Jameson has been Batman's biggest critic. He's harder on Spider-Man than he is on himself. Even after who he is pre-Spider-Man one one more day, it made him hate him more. That's in public. Secretly, Jonah was disappointed that that Peter never told him. Jonah has been in, um, has been a great antagonist to Spider-Man from the beginning. Without Jonah, Spider-Man isn't popular. He he's hurt him in ways that villains couldn't. He's made the world think that he was a thief and a murderer. The worst the words heard was knowing that his aunt may believe that the daily what the Daily Bugle was printing. All of that helped us realize that Spider Man would always rise above the criticism and be better. Yeah. I think I think that perfectly encapsulates him. Um obviously I think JK Simmons brought a lot of personality to the character oh, in the early two thousands. Um but, you know, everybody truly desperately we all share a common goal. We want more goddamn pictures of Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> Part of me wants to make a picture of get a, one of J. Dylan Jameson's I don't want pictures of Spider-Man. I want pictures of Meredith Saffin Geek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, make, I'm making that tonight and I'm sending it to you. Oh, but, God. Yeah, but like, I, hopefully you can't tell I'm hitting my vape, but I just choked on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's even fucking better. Um, but like, yeah, but honestly, like, J. Jonah Jameson, without J. Jonah Jameson, Spider-Man isn't as popular, which is funny because the next person, Batman wouldn't be as popular as at number 30, James um, Gordon. Batman isn't as popular as he is without James Gordon. I think James Gordon is one of the most influential characters when it comes to the Batman. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, J. Jonah Jameson and Jim Gordon, they're um, moral foils to both characters. That, you know, Gordon is somebody who lives by the law. Like, he he operates on the rule of law. Like, he's a good, clean cop who just wants to create a better society. You know, he's that one good cop that mythologically exists somewhere. But... I'm going to say this, and you may be mad at me, but I really feel like that I wish I would have taken Gambit off the list and put Renee Montoya on here. Oh, I love Renee. She is the love of my life. Um... No, Gotham Central will make you love her even more than you ever thought you could. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. So when I read it, yes. um, I'm just going to... This was 
This was written in the early 2000s, and it involves a lot of commentary that was unheard of at the time. You know, the shit that you couldn't, you know, that was, you know, considered bad form to talk about. Hell, even that it's still to talk about today. Just, um, just so you can see, if you guys see it, I actually really did buy both of them. Nice. <laughs> while we were oh, you, you, you will love it. Uh, I mean, uh, it's Rekka and Brubaker at their best. Uh, I wasn't fucking around. Number 29. Have, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Have you ever played the Batman Telltale games? No, but I was thinking about doing it since I actually finished the Guards of the Galaxy um, game, which I think it, is, which I, Guards of the Galaxy a, game is the greatest combo game of all, combo game, video game of all time. Um, the Telltale, uh, particularly the enemy within, that will give you a run for your money. It is a different Batman. He's the detective. You know, sure, there's, you know, some Telltale-like combat, but this is Detective Batman, and it's a great representation of Jim Gordon. And in in the second game, I'll give you a little sneak peek. You have to choose between siding with Jim Gordon, who is the moral strong, you know, who has the moral argument, and Amanda Waller, who has, honestly, the right argument. Oh, shit. I thought we, we didn't even talk about Amanda Waller, because Amanda Waller was number... She was number 44 right before Harley Quinn. Yeah. Um, she is perfect and amazing, and um, she's, the new she's... Suicide Squad movie can burn for what... It, no, you do not... Uh, yeah. I worship the ground Viola Davis walks on. Um, and... You, you do not disrespect Viola Davis. So I'm going to say something that um, Michael Jack- Have you ever seen Black Dynamite? Yes. Okay. So Michael Jai White said something. He was talking. He goes, He goes. oh, somebody goes, oh, why would you not do a movie where he goes, when you, where he goes, where you, where you win a Grammy? And he goes, why the fuck would I do that? No black person has ever won a Grammy and then gone on to greater heights. And he was, the other interview was like, oh, well, what about Masha Hala Ali? He's playing Blade. He goes, and Michael Jabari goes, oh, I'm sorry. Was was Wesley Snipes a Grammy-winning actor before he played Blade? <laughs> and to be honest with you, like, with Viola Davis, Viola Davis is one of the greatest fucking performers of all fucking time. And she called she out Hollywood for doing that. She goes, I have the same fucking pedigree as uh, Meryl Streep, but I get less of the fucking um, praise for it. Yeah. She has been consistently robbed of her Oscars. Because the Oscars are allergic to black women, I guess. My God. No, no. But wait, you know, no, no. only they're, if they're, they're in supporting to, roles. No, no. They're allergic to dark-skinned black women. Very true. Very true. Because they'll give Holly Berry an award for fucking some some white guy, but they won't give Viola Davis an award for any of the shit that she's done, which is absolute yeah. fucking bullshit. But um, in Amanda Waller, and I, and I, Viola Davis is fantastic in everything she's in, but she's also too good to be in fucking Zoom. Yeah. Um, I do think the movie is awful and it broke my heart because I spent 3D money to see it opening night, but I feel like special praise does need to be given to Angela Bassett, who was Amanda Waller in the Green Lantern film, because that was comic book Amanda Waller. Well, she, and, they even, they even wait, gave wait, wait, Angela wait, Bassett wait, the what hair. Was, what was Angela Bassett Amanda Waller? Green Lantern. Oh, like shit. the movie oh, with yeah, Ryan yeah, Reynolds? Yeah, you're right. You're right. But Angela Bass is a fucking vampire who never ages. She's one of the most beautiful people. I, I want to know, like, what, like, I know black don't black doesn't crack, but like, what demon is she sacrificing people to, and how oh, do I you, find that? You don't watch American Horror Story? Oh, I have, but okay, I mean, then, like, then you Angela know why Bass- she has an age because it's vampiric yeah. blood or fucking um Mary LeBeau. <laughs> it's like one or the other. 
Because black don't like, crack, feel, but that's different. I, I feel like Angela Bassett is one of those people that if she, like, took my face in her hands and told me that I was, like, you know, a beautiful person, I would believe it wholeheartedly for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, you would just look at her and go, I believe everything you're saying. Don't talk anymore. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, number 29, we have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you just be like uh, my brother. My brother's nine years older than I am, and so he's thirty nine. And I absorbed a lot of you know eighties cartoons by proxy because you know my parents would tape them, and I would watch them as a kid as well. And so much Ninja Turtles. My brother is to this day. He's almost a forty year old man. Still wears a Ninja Turtles belt. I had one. I used to wear it every Friday for a casual Friday at my security job. Um, my brother, um, at the birth of his son, one of the first thing Nielsen's did with my nephew was introduce him to Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so, like, he is raising my nephew on the same Ninja Turtles content he was raised on. I'm and so the Ninja Turtles hold a special place in my heart. And I love, one of my favorite Ninja Turtles pieces of media recently was um, Batman and the TMNT. Oh, uh, Batman, team, was, Batman teamed up with the Ninja Turtles recently. It, the cartoon was really well done, but the comic book was yes. fucking phenomenal. Watching Donatello and Absolutely. Bane work together was one of the weirdest fucking things ever. Donatello was always my favorite. Uh, I'm a Raphael guy, but that's also because I'm an asshole. <laughs> uh, number 28, to my chagrin, I don't think he's a good character. I think he's actually absolutely awful. I think he's one of the worst combo create one of the combos characters ever created. But that's why he was rated this high. Hal Jordan. Are you familiar with like middle child syndrome? Yes. I feel like Hal Jordan is the comic book personification of middle child syndrome. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that or why I feel that way, but I feel like it makes sense. It, it, it absolutely does. I'm actually going to text a buddy of mine who loves Hal Jordan, and I, I can't wait to hear how he responds to that. I. I love Hal Jordan for what he means to the Lantern Corps. Yeah. And I think he was the rightful successor for Alan Scott. And, you know, the, the, he was the foundation of the Green Lantern Corps. Alan Scott, Golden Age Green Lantern, is a very different character. But I think Hal Jordan, they're kind of beating a dead horse with this one. Yeah. You know, Barry has this problem too, but I'd argue Hal is the worst with it. I think he was honestly at his most interesting during, oh god, what was it, Emerald Twilight, where he kills the core? Yeah, and it was the weirdest fucking thing ever. I'm like, eh. And I will abide any Hal Jordan story if it's he and Sinestro having that moral argument between the two. Because I, I, have, a, I have a weakness for, like, you know, the superhero and their moral evil counterpart, you know? Yeah, it's it's the whole thing. But I obviously think that he's also out of the four Green Lanterns that they were talking about, it would be Hal, Guy, Kyle, and Stuart. Yeah, and uh, Jessica Cruz was on the Jessica list. Jessica Cruz too. would be the fifth one that Yeah. I would go Hal is probably fourth on the list and the only reason that oh, yeah. Jessica Cruz would be five is because he's just super inexperienced. But yeah. I would trust the other three before I trust Hal Jordan in any of that shit. I would say that I am more fond of Hal's legacy than I am of he himself. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. 
And speaking of trusting a legacy over who they are, Professor Charles Xavier at number 27. Oh, God. He is a fucking dick. And can I just tell you that, like, I'm glad that the the writers of the last 20 years have made it a point to show everyone, like, oh, yeah, Xavier sucks. He's absolutely awful, and we should acknowledge that. I will say this. um, Patrick Stewart as... Uh, Charles Xavier is probably the most spot-on comic book casting. Absolutely. Stuart McKellen, perfect. Uh, and for comic book fans out there, here's a fun fact for you. Professor Xavier is also one of the people who erased Wolverine's memory. Mm-hmm. And fell in love with Jean Grey in the Silver Age when she was, like, what, 18? Oh, that was Ultimate X-Men. I pre- Please don't tell me that was actually something that happened in the regular Marvel Silver, y- yes. Yuck. That's disgusting. Um, moving on, number 26, Sue Storm. Ah, uh, Sue Storm. I do have a soft spot for Sue Storm. To, uh, I think... Thing, though. So, so, ab- so, from here on, when I name a character, I want you to say, too low, too high, or aptly. So, Sue Storm. At 26, aptly. Because, but... I think a lot of characters suffer from writers who don't know what to do with them. And Sue Storm is definitely one of them. This woman could kill you as soon as look at you. She could create those tiny little things in your bloodstream, and then they slowly get bigger, and she blows you up from the inside out. She is terrifyingly powerful, but she's often slotted into wife and mother category by far too many writers. So one of my favorite things was during um, Enemy of the State with Wolverine, where he said the Invisible Woman was the only person who scares him. Yeah. And she and she was like, I don't care who's... Con-, and she said, I don't care who's mind controlling you. You threaten my family. And she goes, oh, yeah. do you ever know what would happen if I turned your orbital organs invisible? And he was just fucking blind. There was nothing yeah. he could fucking do about it. The Invisible Woman is one of the most terrifying people in, Mar- in Marvel Comics, and I would love to see who would win in the fight between her and my number one. Ooh, that'd be a good one. Because um, it, then it becomes a matter of whose mind works faster, and I that's the whole thing. Um, number yeah. 25 is Mystique. Um, Apley. Ap- Apley. She's one of the best villains of all time. I think she's one of the best characters of all time. And everything that she's done with Krakoa recently has been spot on. Yeah. Have you ever, Brian K. Vaughn, as we oh, bring I him up the yet shit again? Out of that. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. I do. Um, like, I, I especially appreciate the fact that, you know, they add complexity in that book because she can't stand to look at herself. Like, what she actually looks like, she can't stand to look at herself. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting, you know, that kind of self-conscious discomfort is a really interesting aspect to someone as you know unshakable as mystique so i also want to say something else that um when i said something's too black or too gay it was too feminine yeah because i think that the mystique series was canceled too short i think mystique could hold her own she was james bond oh absolutely and i thought it was a great um setting for her Number 24, we have Nick Fury. Which one? Oh, white Nick Fury. Okay. <laughs> like, I love black Nick Fury, but he doesn't make the top one. Do 
Because I know they did some shenanigans when they brought him over and that he's White uh, Nick Fury's son now? Yeah, he's Am Ill- I correct? Ill- illegitimate son of some shit. Yeah, okay. You know, I'm going, no, I'm going I, White Nick Fury because he's the fucking man. No, I really like Nick Fury. Um, you know, my dad was in the Marine Corps, so, you know, when we'd go to the VA or go to these veteran events, there would always be, you know, those grizzled old World War II guys there. You know, still munching on cigars, talking about war wounds they got, you know, what, 40, 50 years ago. And for those people who haven't read it, check out Fury, My War Has Gone Past. It's one of the best. It's Fury Max. Just look, Google Fury Max. It's one of the best comic books I've ever read. It has a lot of history. It is the history, the urban legends, the facts, and the rumors of everything that happened after World War II with America, and it's fan-fucking-tastic, and you'll, you'll see a lot of characters you'll love. It's one of the best things I've ever read. It's also Garth Ennis, and I'm also biased, even though he's a crazy person. <laughs> Number 23, we have Dick Grayson. Aptly over or underrated? I would say, given his character, aptly on the list, but I am lukewarm on Dick Grayson in general. I can dig that. I, I, I actually have nothing other than that because I can understand how people can feel about Dick Grayson because I was like that until his current Tom King run. Number 22, we have Alfred Pennyworth. Apt, aptly, definitely. I uh, think Alfred is uh, far too underrated by far too many people um, because this is a man who, yeah, sure, he's Batman's adoptive father and caretaker. But he is also not without a past himself, and he can hold his own. Oh yeah, like Alfred's a, Alfred's a bad motherfucker. That was when me and my wife were watching the Batman yesterday, and she was talking, and we were talking. I whispered over, I go, "Oh yeah, Alfred was an actor. He was a spy, and he was also MI thirteen as a marine." And she was like, "Then why the fuck is he a butler?" And I go, "Family obligation." <laughs> oh yeah. I keep forgetting that Pennyworth is a show that exists. So do I. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, like, I remember seeing the pilot, and I remember hearing that Martha Wayne, at the time she was Martha Kane, was kind of like, you know, a sexy James Bondian bombshell that he comes across. Like... Uh, number 21, we have Daredevil. Yeah, it's, I'd say this fits. You said this fits. I thought this was going to be the one you'd argue about, to be honest with you. I think, you know, kind of like removing personal feeling. I grew up very Catholic, so Daredevil kind of like gets uh, me sometimes. I'm like, I don't need this. <laughs> uh, I don't need this, Matt. I've got my own guilt. <laughs> oh, God. I'm not even Catholic and I understand that shit. Fucking just mental health in general fucking makes me want to hate myself more than anything else. Oh, funny story for you. My therapist, one of the, among the uh, watching pig, one of the things he said to me was, I need you to tell me who Mark is. And I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> what do you mean to tell me who I am? Anyway, uh, number 20, we have Loki. Uh, I have a complicated relationship with Loki, but I'd say given his effect on the Marvel Universe, I would argue that this is a good spot for him. Okay. Uh, Mr. Stenister at 19. Oh, this is, yeah, see, this is the one I wasn't expecting to see in the top 20, and I actually think it fits really well, because he is easily one of the more dynamic X-Men antagonists. Mm-hmm. 
I would say there's a nickel's difference between him and Mr. Sinister, him and um, Doctor Doom, to be honest with you. Oh, absolutely. One, one is I think, science uh, genetically, I think Sinister is smarter. Obviously, because like he's really into like geneticists and he's been doing it a lot. Mm-hmm. Longer. But obviously, Doom is smarter in terms of like magic and other like science things. But like the one thing they both have in common, and we'll talk about Doom later, is like even when they lose, they win. And I hated that Hellions was canceled, because Hellions was also one of my favorite ones. Um, number 18, we have Deadpool. I, I bet this was a hard one for you. Um, initially, he was in my top 10, but I had to, to take him down, take my personal appearances, personal feelings aside. But um, I also think Deadpool has more layers than any comic book character to date. No, undoubtedly. Let's, okay, I'm going to say this just so I speak into existence. Did you know there's a Sue Storm and Deadpool comic book? Oh, God. It's in Marvel Unlimited. It's just exclusively a Marvel Unlimited, and it's fucking fantastic. Oh, my God. That sounds great. DC and Marvel, I'm asking you politely, can we please get a Kate Kane, Wayne Wilson alliteration comic oh my book? God. <laughs> Can you picture Kate Kane and Deadpool to get and Wade Wilson together? Oh god, she'd kill him. She she would actively try to find a way to kill him and like make him stay dead. But like but the fun thing about that is is she would respect everything about him and I feel oh, like absolutely. Dead, I feel like Deadpool would realize that she's a military man, a military woman, and be like, I respect this, let me tone my jokes down just a little bit. I, I feel like, you know, but when he walked out of the room it would be like that destiny picture that you sent me, she would just hold her hands up and go, hate you. <laughs> yes! <laughs> but she would love him because he, cause Deadpool follows orders, though. Absolutely. But, like, I feel I like mean, the whole, like... And Kate, Kate is nothing if not a tactician. Yes. I, re- I will say this, though. When she, when she shot Clayface, if Deadpool was the one holding the gun, he wouldn't have shot Clayface. Yeah, I think, see, and that's a call that is really divisive among Bat fans and even among Batwoman fans, because arguably, and, you know, and I grew up with a military father with a specific way of thinking. I think she made the right call. But your military because, father is different because, like, he's, yeah. from what you've told me about it is, accepting the fact that you were gay, accepting the fact that you're queer, accepting the fact that, like, and just being just an overall good person. I can understand what you're saying when it comes to, like, the confliction of it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think nobody would punish Kate more for that decision than Kate herself. Oh, absolutely. She hate You could tell, like, right after she did it, she hated herself for doing it. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there is no conceivable way Cass could have gotten out of that. Absolutely. And Tim's always, like, we, we find a better way. And I really wanted Kate to ask, okay, we had three seconds. What would you have done? You know, Cassandra would have been dead. Like, um, and speaking of Kate Kane, um, Cassandra Kane, can we just say um, how much the um, Birds of Prey bastardized her and how stupid it was? And just... <sighs> That's really the only part of that film that broke my heart. Yeah, but I will say this though: the funny thing about all that is, is they could literally do a, se- a sequel to that, and she could be kicking ass and just be like, "I don't like doing." And I think Ella J. Bosco, the actress who played uh, Cass in Birds of Prey, I think she did a remarkable job with what she was given. And that's the part that I think people forget about. Like, 
Yes. Um, there's a lot of things. It's like I a person could do as good as they can with the act with the um with the material that's given. That's why I always give yeah. Hugh Jackman a pass because like he did a phenomenal job as Wolverine with the script. Now, but imagine- I also. What I liked with Birds of Prey is that they left the door open. I don't know if you caught it, but when Black Canary comes across her in the apartment building and she hears the parents fighting, she's like, oh, your parents? And she says, foster parents. And that leaves the door open for Shiva. Because I think... We don't, well, no, 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 no. We're not going to talk about Shiva. Because she may pop I up and kill her. me. She, she may pop up and I, kill me. <laughs> what did you say? Well, she may pop up and kill me. <laughs> No, I, I love Shiva. Like, uh, Batman and the the most recent Batman and the Outsiders book, where, you know, Bruce was trying to oh, prop Kate up so as... so damn good. Uh, you know, Bruce tried to prop Kate up as Cass's, you know, mentor and teacher kind of thing, then, you know, Kate did the thing, and Shiva just kind of like, have you seen that gif of, like, Kim Kardashian, like, sticking her head around the plant and smiling? Like, I feel like that was Shiva yeah. in that whole book. She's like, hey... The, um, a prop, I mean, the, the problem with that is, is just like Shiva is, it's she's actually she's the antithesis of everything that Batman is because yes. there is such a, a disconnect between the two, and I love that their relationship with with Shiva, um, Batgirl because she's not orphan, and um, no. Signal. Because, you don't even want to get me started on why I genuinely hate Stephanie Brown. Oh, we can talk about that, but because like she is just. I've never liked Stephanie Brown ever. Like she's just been annoying since day one. Like yeah. I, and it's funny because I want to read Batgirls, but I'm like, I just don't like Stephanie Brown. She's fucking. I think Actually, she's. No, I'm lying. I did like her in um, Batman Eternals. I thought you know her her reintroduction there. I thought that was pretty decent, but in Stephanie personality wise, it, she bugs me. Because I think she's a little too petulant at times. And I feel like she plays better as support than trying to... I, I didn't like... I have read her Batgirl run cover to cover three times now. I cannot find anything to latch onto about it. Mm-hmm. I like to make the joke that I feel like she's the kind of person who likes hanging out with queer men, but lesbians weird her out. You know, I like to make that. It, it's not oh a my serious thing. God. I'm moving on because that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I was reading, you know, I've been reading comics for a very long time, probably far earlier than I should have been. And I was really big into Cassandra Kane's run um, later on. And um, when they were booting her to be black bat and they were slowly turning stuff into Batgirl. Um, I was in a comic book store, a comic book store, and I was picking some stuff up. And there were these, you know, typical comic book guys at the counter, and they were chatting. And one of them said, it, "Like this moment is seared into my brain." One of them said, "I'm so glad Batgirl's gonna, going to be back to normal." Basically, referring to the fact that Batgirl would be white again, because the cashier asked for clarification, and he's like, "No, no, no, Batgirl should be white. You know, they should all like." And, like, they took a dynamic role away from a woman of color with one of the most interesting backstories in the entire Bat family to give it to a blonde white girl, you know, appeasing these people. And I hate... I understand. Let me just say this. There are certain characters who should remain their sex, their sexuality, their preference, and their race. Among those characters are Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers should always be blonde hair, blue eyes, because of what he represents. 
Because, yeah, and, you know, it sets up the progression. Exactly. Same thing with Danny Rand, being one of the one of the best friends to Luke Cage, who's also on that list. T'Challa, who obviously should be on that list. And when we're talking about women and stuff like that... like Have yeah, you ever like, seen the cursed photo of white T'Challa? I saw um, Marvel, wait, what? <laughs> and, like, everyone was going, wait, you're black? You're white? And it was like, ah! And everyone was freaking the fuck out. But I've never seen, like, a curved picture of it. I don't think I want to. And I'm moving on on that. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I suffered through this, so you must suffer through it. Oh, God, why, why would you do this to me? I thought we were, I th- I thought we were cool. <laughs> hey, Victoria and I have the rule that if one of us sees something cursed, we immediately have to share it with the other. Well, well that's 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 wife shit. That's like relationship. <laughs> that's spouse shit. Like we're cool. It's, we're it's, friendly. I don't even see this shit. <laughs> it's a piece of fan art that I think oh, originated on it. Tumblr. Ew. <laughs> I'm, just letting, I'm just letting you know that's going to be part of the fucking um. That's going to be part of the fucking link. That's going to be part of the images that's going to go with this episode. With this, with part two of this episode. So number 17, we have Jean Grey. This I actually I actually can work with. And I have notoriously hated Jean Grey for years. Really? But X-Men Red. And I'm talking like no Phoenix involved, Jean. Um, but X-Men Red really kind of bitch slapped me a little bit. Because it was Tom Taylor... And Jean Grey was leading a team of the X-Men. This is, you know, when everybody was off in their alternate universe. This is what everybody who was left, basically. Yeah, old man Logan was Wolverine. And Jean was such a competent, talented, brilliant strategist, tactician leader. Like, was probably one of the best leaders the X-Men had had in recent years. Well, there's a lot of that comes at is because the one thing, like, I think Cyclops is one of the two or threat two one or two best leaders in the X-Men, but the one of the things that Jean Grey has over all of them is she's practical. Yes. She has the I she has the ability to be practical and also emotional. So yes. when she makes a decision, it's but you know what she also has? She has something that everyone else has a disadvantage of. She's a telepath. So when Professor Xavier makes a decision, he's only thinking for himself. But when Jean Grey makes a decision, she's emotionally invested with everyone who's going on with that. And because yeah. she's a telepath, she thinks faster than everyone else. So yeah. when she goes, hey, I'm making a decision, I trust her more than I trust a lot of other people. Because if she says, hey, Wade, I need you to go run into this, I'm going to do it because she's not going to go. It's Unless she, unless there's no one else to do, I'm not going to die in a situation where she tells me to do something. Yeah. I, I would trust one of her orders more than I would trust Cyclops because Cyclops is prepped to like unfo- make the unfortunate but sometimes necessary sacrifices in war. Like if we're following Sun Tzu level tactics here, yeah, it's Gene, all, it's like Second Coming when like Cable ended up dying and, and like he was just like, "Don't act like I don't feel this," and Hope put a gun to his face and go, "You do not get to say this shit." And Hope yeah. Summer should let me, let me hold it. There's a couple of people who should be on this list that are that are not on this list. Multiple man who is one of my five favorite characters, Hope Summers, who doesn't get the respect she deserves, and, also, and also Susie from Sex Criminals. <laughs> I love that book. Um, I actually just, I finished it four months ago, and I said, this is one of the best things I've ever read. And, I, and people have been telling me for years, like, yo, you need to read this. And I'm like, I'll get to it when I get to it. And then I read, uh, ish, I read book one, volume one, 
on Comixology and immediately bought the rest of it. I said, yep, I'm, I'm sold. Fuck all, y'all. This is great. I had a friend who was uh, relaying to me a story about how um, he went to Barnes & Noble and he was looking into comic books and he had heard a lot of really good things about sex criminals. So he got those big deluxe editions that just say sex criminals across it and he took it up to the counter and he said the cashier was just like had this wide-eyed expression the entire time they were ringing the books up because it was very clear the cashier had no idea what the book was about. It was just this pink cover that had sex criminals written on it. I don't get that shit, though, because, like, when I worked this stuff, I would just, like, ring this shit up and think it in my head. I don't give a fuck what you're ringing up. Oh, a boy shorts? Cool. Beep. Oh, a thong? Beep. Cool. Oh, a cucumber with lube? Beep. Beep. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> anyway, uh, number 16, we have Lex Luthor. I'd say this is uh, the perfect spot for him. Okay. Um, I feel like his brilliance has been downplayed in recent years. I think, ironically, um, the Harley Quinn animated series, I think that captured it perfectly, where he's the polite genius who will slit your throat the moment you look away from him if he has to. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially considering stuff that he did in um, the Batman comic book where he thought he controlled Batman egg, and Batman was like, eh, no, you don't. Um, have six. have you ever read Judd Winnick's Outsiders book? Judd Winnick's Outsiders book. Is that the one with this, Lobo? This was, this was early 2000s. I, um, I, I definitely did not think. Okay. There's a uh, an Amazonian character named Grace Troy. Have, did you watch Black Lightning? Oh, I love Black Lightning. I, let, me, let me rephrase that. I covered Black Lightning from season one, episode four, to the very last season, and I tried really hard not to shit on how bad some of the acting was. Yeah. But, um, and this is girlfriend, Grace. This is the character who is actually like a seven foot tall, ripped as hell Amazon. Oh, but the, um, the, the one who could turn into a... Like, cat. Okay. Oh, yeah. damn. I didn't know, I was unaware of that. Yeah. Um, she, um, Jefferson has been arrested for a crime that he was framed for. And, um... You know, Nightwing and and the rest of them, they're like, eh, he's in jail, we can't go bust him out, and this is like, fuck all of you. And Grace points out the fact, she's like, no, 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 no. When Lex Luthor squeezed his evil ass into the White House, Jefferson Pierce sacrificed his entire identity to become the Secretary of Education to keep an eye on him. And, you know, and she even points out, she's like, look, under him, schools got way better. But he wanted to be as close to Lex Luthor as possible because that's how dangerous he was. I think Black Lightning, again, was too black for people. I actually know someone who said who said to me, oh, it was too urban. And I said, well, then it wasn't for you. Yeah. Because there, and, were, I mo mean, there were moments where I was just like, oh, yeah, people aren't going to like this. But honestly, as a, as a black male, I was like, this stuff in the air. Fuck all y'all. Yeah. Um, ironically, the TV show Black Lightning has so little content on his own that they actually started pulling a lot from uh, Judd Winnick's Outsiders run. Because since Anissa was in the book, that's actually the book she was created for, um, th they had to pull a lot of Anissa's content from the Outsiders, mainly Cough, Cough, Grace, Troy. I think, I think it is a book you would absolutely love. In one of their first major battles, Anissa and Grace catch a fucking fighter jet as it falls from the sky. From blackness to whiteness, we have Cyclops. <laughs> Cyclops is the most, and I say that because I wait. Mean, I thought I thought Joker was next. 
Um, oh shit! Did I skip? Did I skip one? Oh shit! I did. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, after Lex Luthor, we have Joker. Um, let me just as say this: as- for those of you who are Joker fans, Joker didn't get interesting until the last 20 years. This is called like it is. He was a very I- one note character up until uh, the last 20 years. I thought he was very one note. I thought he was, but he was. He's so super popular that you have to put him in the top one. Yeah. Guys who make their entire personalities loving the Joker, the 10 foot minimum rule, just like that, I don't trust you. Um, but I really, I have a thing for the Golden Age. And just because it's interesting to see what comics were like before the code. Like, the, the Golden Age has some truly wacky ass books. Um, but the Golden Age Joker is, you know, Batman premiered in 1939. And so this is coming off of the Great Depression. So the Joker fits an archetype more like the gangsters from the 1930s. He's a very polished, put together, I mean, very criminal and insane, but he has the air of one of those 1930s gangsters. Yeah. And I think, and that's the kind of Joker I really like. And we get little bits of that sporadically. We're like, the Joker, it's his gimmick. But now we have to do like weird mutant face cut off Joker. Can I, and let me just say this for those of you who aren't reading Joker in the comic book, you're missing out because it actually has nothing to do with the Joker. It's all about fucking Jim Gordon, and it's fantastic. The Joker is one of the one of my favorite DC comic books, specifically because we get through the we get into the mind of Jim Gordon. And for all of you who are buying it, ha ha! You bought a Jim Gordon book. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and you know, I I've, I think even I've referred to it before in um, this recording, but I do feel that at times the Joker is a lazy writer's tool because he's the easiest Batman villain to write because Joker comes in, blows something up, yada, yada, yada. You don't really have to do any heavy lifting. And that's my, I mean, we, that was we get that's some, my problem with the Joker is because you could do so much more with him. And I've seen writers do so much with it. it was, I think it was... It was New 52, I think it was Death of the Family. Yeah, where Joker, that's where he gets his face cut off. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, this is so fantastic because it isn't, because it's Joker playing everybody. It's not just yeah. Batman. He's playing the entire fucking Bat family and the villains. Here you go. Here's actually something to sell you on the, on the uh, Telltale Batman games a little bit. They flip the script with Joker. You meet him very briefly in the first game. And then in the second game, he's a major character because your choices as Batman and as Bruce Wayne influences how he turns out in the end. Because he's not the abusive one. Harley is. Because Harley, I mean, he's in an abusive relationship with Harley Quinn. He's a deeply troubled man who is mentally ill. And he can either become less jokery or full-on jokery, but it's based... He's your moral compass throughout the game. So, let me just say this before we move on to the next one. Harley Quinn, the combo character, will never move up higher than what she is on this list, period. But, Harley Quinn, the pop culture movie and TV show character, will probably end up being in the top five in the next ten years. Yeah. So number 14, after the Joker, thank you for calling me out on that because I didn't have a Joker at 15. Uh, number 14, we have Cyclops. I, a like, man so white that salt is spicy. 
Dear God. <laughs> what the fuck I'll do you want me to that do was, with that? That was a good one. <laughs> what the fuck do you want me to do with that? How am I supposed to respond to any of this shit? Dear God. <laughs> but um, Cyclops, all jokes aside, Cyclops is a great leader, but he's also very Nick Furious when it comes to sacrificial lambs. It's one of the reasons why Beast hates him, because he's like, you love to yeah. be tortured for fucking weeks on, for days on end, while you got your shit together. But Cyclops has a bigger picture in mind. Um, and for someone who's, he doesn't even have laser eyes, he has force blast. But one of the, one of the dopest things, actually, let me rephrase that. The dopest thing I've ever seen a leader do. They were fighting vampires in Cyclops brought in a priest to bless Iceman as Holy War. That is the dopest thing I've ever seen someone do to fight somebody. Because it's like, anything Iceman does, it's now Holy Water. My dad made a point about Cyclops, because I was a teenager. Wait, we had wait, found... wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're bringing in your dad, now I can't argue with him. Because every, literally everything you said about him, I've agreed with. Well, you see, here's the thing. My dad pointed out something interesting about Cyclops is that, you know, he pointed out that there are soldiers and there are leaders yes. and that leaders understand strategy, but they don't understand soldiers and soldiers don't understand strategy, but they understand combat. But very oh, few leaders understand both. And Cyclops is one of those. He understands combat, but he also understands strategy. Fuck and he said dope. Cyclops looks at cold numbers. If he has to sacrifice half of the X-Men to do whatever, he will sacrifice half of the X-Men. Because he feels like that's what needs to be done. And it's not that he has a love of winning. It's just he survival. isn't that... Like he's a, It's he's survival, a, yeah. Yeah, he's a, sol- he's a soldier and a leader, so he knows that, like, this is unfortunately what needs to be done. Like sending his son into the future to prop to sending his not only just his son, he sent his son and he sent X Men and then he sent Wolverine, who was essentially like, let's be honest, his lover. Yeah, to the situation. And I, oh, can I also just say that I love that Jonathan Hickman pretty much hinted at it, and everyone is so mad that like Gene, Cyclops, and Wolverine are the throuple. It's like, eh, get used to it because that's the way it should be. But um, yeah. anyway. But Cyclops has this whole thing where he's just, he's different. He's that that asshole boss who gets the job done and isn't there to be liked, but is also kind of hurt that no one likes him, you know? That under Cyclops' annoying veneer, and I actually don't like Cyclops very much, but under his truly annoying veneer, there beats the heart of a man who just wants to do the right thing. Yeah. And that's the thing about Cyclops that I absolutely love is the fact that like he he and it's funny because Cyclops hates himself for the things that he does, so he knows how absolutely. Um, number thirteen, we have Thor, the Odinson. Again, I have a bit of a complicated relationship with Thor, but I think this is a good spot for him. Um, he was. This is the weird thing about the Marvel universe is that prior to the MCU, the Avengers did not matter. It was all about the X Men and Spider Man. Those were the financial heavyweights of Marvel. Because go true. back to the '90s, you know, nobody but, gave a shit about the Avengers. I, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna debate that only because I went back and read a bunch of Thor comic books from the '90s, and Thor comic books in the '90s were really good. Yeah, but they've some of his stories at times have just been repurposed Superman stories because I feel like Thor is the character people historically have not known what to do with. 
I can see that. I can also see that, you know, the one of the things that, one of the tropes that I hate about Superman and Thor is that they're too powerful. Superman yeah. loses a lot. Thor gets his ass whooped a lot. The two of them um, individually are smarter than people give them credit for. Oh, yeah. Because, like, again, like, one of the, one of my, uh, one of the people I know said that, like, uh, Clark Kent is a Pulitzer winning writer. No matter how fucking fast you can type, that doesn't mean anything if you're not a good writer. Superman's yeah. not good. Thor has literal centuries of combat experience. So there's a lot of time where he just takes a lot of abuse and he loses because he thinks he wins, understands something, and then he comes back yeah. and wins because he's, as your dad said, difference between soldiers and generals. Thor yeah. is both. Not only is he a soldier and a general, he's a fucking god and a king. Yeah. My big thing with like Loki and Thor and whatnot is that um, one half of my family is from deep Tennessee slash Appalachia and the other half is Swedish immigrants. And so I grew up with a lot of these as like bedtime stories. So that little stuffy part of me in the back of my brain is going, this isn't right. But... So it, it is purely just me being stuffy, but um, it's but but even in being stuffy, but I also feel that like for stuff as quote unquote stuffy as you are, you also have a very and you say you're not um you you're biased, but you also have a very unbiased opinion on a lot of things. But I also yeah, I, I try to. You do. Um, number twelve, we have Captain America, and by Captain America, I mean Steve Rogers. I think this fits. Um, you know, he was an incredibly influential character in the Golden Age because, mm -hmm. you know, and there were a dozen of, he was one of many America-based strong men. Because, I mean, you know, you had the S.H.I.E.L.D., you had the Defender, a lot of, you know, there were a lot of these characters that were basically the same. A lot of them had humble beginnings, but, you know, went on to join and fight Nazis and, you know, yeah. hero worship for kids. But Steve Rogers, there was something special about him that when they brought him back in the 60s, he was able to cling to that and move forward. So let me just say this for people who are listening to this. I hate to break this to you. Captain America is the son of two immigrants. So for all you fucking dumbasses who want to go send the immigrants back home and I'm a Captain America fan, Captain America is the son of two immigrants. And the Punisher, his um, ancestors, his um, people who came here, were Italian who were also immigrants. So, fuck off! Um, yeah, the people who like to prop up Captain America are the first ones he would beat the shit out of if he had to. Say it again? I said the people who like to, you know, those people who like to prop up Captain America, you know the type I'm referring to. They are the first ones he would beat the shit out of if he had to. Absolutely. Um, number 11 is someone that it took me, it took me a while to take him out of the top 10. And I really don't know if he's in the top 10 or if he's not, but I put him at 11. Magneto. I'd, I'd flip him with number 10. I, and that's the thing is like, I can honestly agree with that only because, so let me just say this. We'll do this. I, I, and this is the only time I've done this in this podcast. I so agree with you that I'm going to go number 11 is actually Tony Stark. Ooh. I, you have swayed me so much that I'm putting Tony Stark at 11. I'm putting Magneto at... I'm putting Tony Stark at 11 and Magneto at 10. Um, I'm not a Tony Stark Iron Man fan. I'm not. 
I don't uh, think Tony Stark either. can handle. I I don't think until the Robert Downey Jr. era, Tony Stark was not a good character on his own. He sucked. He was absolutely awful. Everyone talked about oh the Iron Man Wars. All of stuff. He was not a good character. He sucked. No, he was a womanizer. He was an alcoholic, a, a violent alcoholic at that. Yeah. But I think that's what made him endearing to so many readers is that this is a gajillionaire superhero who had very real human flaws. Yeah. I don't And also weirdly racist villains. We're not even gonna get on his whole relationship with uh Rhodey One. And we're back because I've been drinking and I had to pee. Um so we switched off and so now we're gonna talk about um, our last top my last top ten. Number ten we have Magneto. I think Magneto's one of those characters, again, that it's partially because of what he stands for and his legacy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, even back to his origin, the comparison has been drawn a lot that, you know, in the 60s, the X-Men were an allegory for the civil rights movement. And a lot of people have drawn comparisons that Xavier was, uh, was Martin Luther King and Magneto was Malcolm X. So it's, their, their arguments were two sides of the same coin. And, you know, having read a lot of Malcolm X's writing, it, a lot of it really comes through with Magneto's character. But then as time went on, he just kind of became garden variety evil for a while. But I think his I motivations... I that because he's not inherently no. evil. And I think, you know, he is a man that has, you know, suffered a lot. I mean, his, his children more are either insane or hate him. <laughs> and who we find out, which is stupid, are not, quote-unquote, really his kids because of accidents. Oh, dumb God. As fuck. I mean, and I just feel bad because Polaris is just, like, batshit bonkers. Well, Polaris is the only one who's actually been, like, confirmed as, his, like, his kid. But that yeah. was due to um, a, I, a, I do. a writer who we will not talk about. I, I do not recognize that retcon. Um. <laughs> because fuck that writer. Um, yeah. Number nine, we have Victor Von Doom. This fits, definitely. He is probably Marvel's most interesting and most well-written villain. I, I have no argument there. Like, in, Especially considering that he went from just a solo villain to a Marvel comic villain. Uh, number eight, we have Storm, Aurora Monroe. I'm going to just read this out because it's Storm. Aurora Monroe doesn't need the title to be the leader of the X-Men. People follow her in a battle and listen to her more than Cyclops. As much as this writer loves him, a lot of people have died and been tortured under his watch. Not with Storm. She, uh, she won't leave anyone behind. If anything, she'll stay while everyone else evacuates the area. Storm doesn't doesn't even need her powers to be in charge. There was a time where she was she and her powers were taken away from her. After training, she challenged Cyclops to leave the X-Men and won. She still had her team's trust, mostly because she had a track record of protecting her family no matter what. I think, you know, I have a lot of very strong feelings about Storm because I think she is one of Marvel's biggest missed opportunities. Because as if you want to look at Marvel's answer to Wonder Woman, it's not Thor, it's not Carol Danvers, it's Storm. Yeah. Because, I mean, hell, even in the Amalgam universe, Storm was the Amazon. She was Wonder Woman. Yeah. Like, and I feel like it, it is a 
absolutely missed opportunity because she is probably one of the most, she could probably, in my opinion, she could solo the X-Men like, and she is a character that I love very deeply. Uh, her solo book from ages ago, it's still one of my favorites. Um, she's fantastic in X-Men Red because she and Jean have that deep, you know, sisterly relationship that they don't, you know, Jean's a telepath and whatnot, but they don't need to actively, you know, they don't need to talk. Jean doesn't need to go into her head. They know what the other is thinking. And that kind of deep bond and love and friendship is on display so well in that book. Absolutely. And it's, but again, it's, but also the, I love when Storm got married in my number one, which is hinting towards, like, it was like, it was her, like, maid of honor. I love that, like, that's who it was. Um, yeah. Number seven, we have Batman. Too high, too low, think, accurate. Uh, believe it or not, I think this is a good spot for him. Because he is arguably one of the most, if not the most popular comic book character in the world. Yes. I know Superman has a lot more pull internationally, but I'd say overall he is one of, if not the most popular in the entire world. Uh, but in terms of, you know, because I noticed with this list, you know, um, you and I have been talking about legacy a lot and what they mean to, like, not only their larger mythos, but their comic universe and even um, public perception. He didn't do anything that wasn't new at the time. He was actually, Golden Age Batman, you know, 1939 Batman, really, was a gun-toting ripoff of the shadow. He shoots a vampire. <laughs> he uh, has a mentally ill criminal that he hangs from the bat plane, like, actually dangling in air by his neck mid-flight and calls it a mercy. Are you serious? I'm, I'm absolutely serious. Golden Age Batman did not, the no-kill rule came much later. A buddy of mine was also talking about how Batman used to carry a six-shooter with him. Oh, yeah, he did. That says a but, lot of people who don't actually know. I was like, oh, I, I, was, I was unaware of it. Yeah, Golden Age, it is a very small period of time with his initial releases. And then once Dick Grayson was introduced and he kind of became a bit more of a normal superhero figure. Yeah. But... You know, I would argue that the most interesting thing about Batman is everyone else. Um, number six, we have T'Challa. I think this is a good spot for him because he was finally given his due in recent years. It took about, and it's funny, it didn't happen until like maybe the mid-90s for him to get mm -hmm. his spot. But I also feel that like even when, one of my favorite stories was, I forget who was writing him at the time, but someone says, oh, hey, we need more white characters in this Black Panther comic book, and he goes, okay. So he wrote a comic book story where Black Panther fought the Klan and beat them. And I was like, that is the greatest thing ever to me. Yeah. Fuck you. And this character is supposed to be about a Black African character. You want my, more white characters? Cool. I'm going to be a dick and made him beat the Klan. Right. Yeah, so that's so... And again, like, and I also love that, like, you could actually switch six and seven, to be honest with you. Like, Black Panther and Child could actually be switched. Um, I have Wolverine at number five. Logan. I think that's a good... James Howlett. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is a decent spot for him because of what he brought to the table. Where would you... If you were doing an unbiased ranking, where would you put Logan at? 
Probably between five and eight. Okay, that so okay, so that's about accurate. And yeah. like I've said multiple times throughout this, I think that Logan has a very layered um, origin story, and like when you get into the whole thing with Romulus and the people who were controlling him, it makes him a different person. Um, and number four, I have Wonder Woman. We're doing an unbiased list. No, yada, no, yada, no, yada. no, 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 no. We're not doing an unbiased list. This is no. I want to know where you would put Wonder Woman. Where I would put her? Yes, absolutely. That's tough because I'm torn. Um, she would probably be my number one. Wow! Not even, you wouldn't even put um, Kate Kane as number one. Kate would. It, they are honestly they're fucking neck and neck in my mind. But I put Wonder Woman slightly ahead of her because of her history, what she has meant, and what she has brought to the table. That's that says a lot. Um, yeah. Number three, we have Superman. Yeah, I think I would personally, but this is also my DC bias. I'd swap uh, two and three. But again, that's just my DC bias. I'm a big Superman fan. 90s Superman is my jam. So I'm only going to bring number two just so we can debate two and three. Number two is Spider-Man. I'm going to tell you why I have Spider-Man number two. Um, In his writer's humble opinion, Spider-Man is the greatest hero of all time. If you look at all of the heroes above this list, Peter Parker does, does just as much or more with less. He doesn't have the money, team, or living situation that would make him make his life um, remotely comfortable. Knowing, knowing all this, it's impressive that he, has, he hasn't completely lost his mind, especially considering, he's been, especially considering what he's been through. With the exception of a few characters, no one has been through more than Peter Parker. It's, not, it's so bad that, the name, that, that he named Parker Luck. If, any, if anything good happens, believe something bad is, going, is um, coming just as bad. Yet Spider-Man still gets up, dusts himself off, and continues to be a great hero without comparison um, with his morals. Superman, other than Monet St. Croix, Superman has the biggest lottery when it comes to superpowers. He has, what, four weaknesses? Electricity, um, magic, and kryptonite. Yeah. He... Can pretty much I, do anything, but I always look at Spider-Man where it's like he's had to study and become a better hero. Yeah, and I definitely see where you're coming from. Is that he is the literal everyman superhero? You know, he's he's a working class superhero, and I particularly '90s Spider-Man. I think got this right. Also, you know, how the hell do you screw up with Mary Jane so many times? Like. Come on, um, dude. Just as a guy who has married the... You know, you ever heard the trope where it's like, never marry your ex? Um, I married my ex because I have screwed up more than a few times and my wife has forgiven me. And I am yeah. now in a position where, thankfully, my wife understands that, like, I'm not the person that I once was. Um, Peter Parker is lucky as fuck. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I think it's just because Mary Jane loves him that much. Um, but even look at okay, okay. I hate to say this because I honestly don't think Peter Parker is good. At, I, I don't know if Peter Parker is bad at sex or good at sex because if Felicia Hardy, who if he was bad at sex, she would not be with him or she would no. not be obsessed with him. Same thing with Mary Jane. 
And same thing with everybody who's had sex with this. Like, dog, you cannot be good at sex when you're Peter Parker. But apparently he is. Yeah. Maybe th- maybe that comes with the radioactive spider bite. <laughs> I'm going to say this, and I don't know fucked up for this. He was bitten by a radioactive uh, porn star. Oh, God. I mean, and unfortunately, like, Peter's probably decent at it. Because of that, he had that whole thing with Silk that they can't be around each other. Because she was bitten by the same spider that he was. So I guess their pheromones have a weird thing. So they pretty that. much like Can I just say start... that I love that about them? Like, they just can't be around him. She was like, oh, your earlobes. I'm like, your earlobes? <laughs> yeah, they, they basically start fucking every time they see each other. And like, it's super awkward because I think... Every- Everybody forgets that Silk is probably, you know, she's the same age as Peter. She's not a teenager. Like, she was just in a bunker for a very long time. So she has the mentality of a teenager, but she is the same age as Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, so so do you think he's aptly rated? Is he too high? Is he too low? What, do you, what are your thoughts? I don't know if I can categorize him off, but he's definitely top five on my list. Just because of what Peter not only brings to the table as himself, but the heroism that entails. Because I want to jump back to Marvel Team Up 100 for a second. Because that's the first appearance of Karma. And, you know, she is trying to get her younger siblings back from her evil uncle and evil twin brother. And the one thing she can think of to do is use a criminal to fight a criminal. And her, her mutant power is possession. And so she takes control of Spider-Man. And she uses Spider-Man to break in to try and get her siblings back. The Fantastic Four happened to be there. She uses Spider-Man to fight the Fantastic Four. You know, she eventually loses her control on him. And the five of them figure out what's going on and they confront her. And Peter's a little huffy about the fact that, you know, he she jumped into his head. But he's like, you know, look, all you had to do was ask. I am ready to help you. He is so enraged on her behalf that even that this woman who was so desperate, she used her mutant power that she's trying to hide to take control of him. He's like, no, nah, fuck it. We're going to get your siblings back. This is wrong. Like, we're going to fuck them up. And, you know, Karma ends up, like, psychically eating her brother. And, you know, Reed pontificates on her name. And he's like, Karma, the potential to do good and evil. And Spider-Man is the first person to say, he's like, no, I think she's going to be good. She's good. And, you know, when I was talking to Chris Claremont when he signed it, he says, this book is everything you need to know about Spider-Man. And I think he could not have been more correct. So, I agree. And I have been dying to get to number one. (laughs) You have been waiting. So, number one... Okay, that didn't work out the way I wanted it to. But number one is Kitty fucking Pride is by far the greatest comic book character, in my opinion, of all fucking time. Now, and like, and just like that, so, no, you no. became best friend. You became best friends with my mother-in-law, so who I feels this exact same way. Did you tell her about this? Uh, well, no. She's just like very vocal with the fact that Kitty Pride is her honest to god favorite. So, I have, um, I have a question before you even get into your thoughts. Where would you rank Kitty Pride? Where I would rank Kitty, 
Top ten, but not number one. Okay. Because I think she is... She's the archetypal audience insert character. And that's, you know, wow. she's like Dick, like Dick Grayson. That's what she was originally there for as a young teen girl. Okay. It was, she was the character you identified with. And, you know, that's, that's where Robin came from. That's where Bucky came from. They're the kid's sidekick that you get to live vicariously through. And they took that and morphed it, you know, slowly through time that, you know, she has that mindset, but she grows into becoming a dedicated leader, a protector, like, you know, a, a, a dragon mom to Lockheed, like, a, depending, upon, <laughs> depending upon who's writing her, a lover or a sister to Ileana, um, she has questionable choices with men named Peter. Oh, fuck, Peter. I forgot about the dude who was on... Because she's England. banged, she's banged Colossus. I think she and Peter Parker had a thing for a while. Pete she Wisdom. and Star Lord had a thing. Pete Wisdom. Yeah, Pete Wisdom. So she has questionable decisions with men named Peter. Hey, Kitty Pride, I will change my name to Pete Lynch. <laughs> now, did you know? I will always find a way to drag it back to Karma. She and Karma almost hooked up one time. Okay, can we can we talk about this now that we're here with this? Um, there's been a whole thing with, uh, Kitty Pride and Rachel Gray, and I'm like, yes, just let them fucking hook up and call it a day. I don't think they'd when? be, I don't think they'd be a good relationship. They should just fucking get it over with. When Kitty Pride got her hold fast tattoo, the first thing she did was kiss the woman who tattooed her. Do you want to know why? Because Kitty Pride was like, holy shit, I'm in a place where I can be Jewish and a mutant. And bisexual, and no one cares. Here's a fun thing. Um, there is a book called Mechanics. Um, it's a Kitty Pride book during the extreme X-Men phase, real close to um, right after 9-11. So there's a lot of like 9-11 paranoia, but with mutants, if that makes any sense. And it's Kitty, Karma, a mutant named Shola, and then random human dude. And Kitty and Karma have never really interacted together before, but they have to navigate basically a white supremacist group, but, you know, against mutants. Yeah. And, you know, Kitty has to make a stand. She has to give this impassioned plea. But, you know, I was talking to Claremont about it because he brought up mechanics and then I wanted to talk about it more. And um, he basically, he has been trying to make Kitty Pride bisexual since the beginning. Because, you know... It was hilarious because he brings up Rachel, uh, Rachel Gray, and Victoria made a face, and Chris Claremont flicked his eyes over to Victoria and went, "Yes, Rachel is one of those." Like venom dripping <laughs> off all of his words that no, he I'm thought sorry, my wife was sorry, being homophobic. I, I, I laughed over what you said. He looked over Victoria and said, "What?" He said, "Yes, Rachel is one of those." You know, and there's venom dripping off all of his words because he thinks Victoria is being homophobic. And she explained her name. And he chuckled and said that um, uh, my mother-in-law had good taste. And I'm, like, waving my wedding ring in his face. But, you know, he was trying to use karma as a neon sign that, look, you know, because he's the one that shifted mutants to focusing on the gay rights movement in the 80s. And Kitty was central to that. Like, she is the activist. She is... In my opinion, she's the heart of the X Men. Oh, like there's, there's no doubt in my mind. So, 
I won't. I don't know if. So there's a lot of organs and health embodiment that goes into the X-Men because there's Cyclops, there's Kitty Pride, there's Wolverine, there's Jean Grey, and then there's Storm. But those are the five. But you also yeah. have those other five. You also have the others like Colossus and Nightcrawler who are one. Um, you also, like, you know what I mean? Iceman. You also have all the others who are like different parts of the organ. But realistically, it's Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean Grey, Storm and Kitty Pride. I so... think. Go ahead. I think Kitty is one of those mutants who is unwaveringly idealistic, but Kitty makes it happen no matter the cost. She said it best where Emma fraught when the Marauders happen, and she was in Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride was like, "I'm the Red Queen, bitch." Yeah, because this was I the, mean, this was a, I do just want to say one thing about Marauders. Can they fuck already? Like, can they fuck already? I'm sorry. Like, Ooh. Emma and Kitty. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, let me tell you. I would pay money for that. But um, there's also a problem with Emma and Kitty because there's a hatred that... Yeah. I feel like Emma walked in and saw Kitty Pryde was like, Oh, you're hot. Oh, you're 14. Ew. <laughs> and then, yeah. like, she was, like, counting down the days, and she was, like, 21. Eh, not yet. And then she was like, wait, you're 24? Hey, come join the Astonishing X-Men. <laughs> but there's... See, like, I, huh? I sent you a picture. Um, uh, my friend sent me this for my birthday, and I want to know if you have this yet. Um. Oh, I do. So... As soon as it was available, I ordered it on Amazon. And that yeah. also, also the Kitty Pride Hold Fast. Excuse me, the Kate Pride Hold Fast. Yeah, with, I, um, I'm Lockheed. not crazy about that. You're not. I I I feel like Kitty Pride rolls off the tongue a little better, but I have only room in my heart for one Jewish superhero named Kate. Oh my god, <laughs> that's a joke I like to tell. I feel like so, Kitty Pride and Kate Kane would get along so well. They fuck. <laughs> and they, yeah, they absolutely would. They have, oh, okay, all right, all right. I got a question. I'm going to ask this question. And please do not judge me as a heterosexual male. Oh, dear. I'm going to ask this question. Who's the top in that situation, Kate or Kitty? Oh, damn. Because, like, I kind of feel like they would fight and then, like, it would just stop, but it's like Kate Kane is in Kate Kane is in her Batwoman costume, and Kate Pride is in her Red Queen costume, and they kind of look at each other and they kiss, and like, how does it work out after that? Oh God, I think it. I think it would honestly depend on who initiated, but I get the feeling in that situation they're both switches. That would make like sense. that makes yeah. sense. That it would be the kind of, you know, like the tumultuous thing you see in movies where they're like constantly flipping each other over. I think that's what that would be. So we and then have... Rachel would be like somewhere going, oh God, oh God, I know what's happening. Ew. Oh, oh not just Rachel. Rachel and fucking Magic would, I think Magic would fucking cock block that shit and then drop uh, Kate Kane in Gotham and Kate, and Kate Pride like, why the fuck are we not doing this? Right. All right, so before we go, um, we have been doing this for a while, and both our wives are kind of like, what the fuck? 
I want you to. <laughs> I, I want you to give me your top five combo characters of all time. My top five comic book characters of all time. No particular okay, order. Me. Just it, I don't give a fuck about you. And this is this is me asking you. You don't have to care about what they've done, who they are. Who are your five favorite combo characters of all time? Okay, um, I'd say save the last two. These three are in no particular order. Um, Superman. Um. They're probably all going to be DC. Well, except one. Oh, uh, Karma. Okay. Uh, Nico Minoru from The Runaways. Okay. That's a good um, pick. That's a really good pick. Um, uh, Batwoman and can Wonder I just Woman. Say my, one of my favorite things about Nico was like, wait, you're not bleeding? And I'm like, oh. I, I love that. I think uh, Nico is... She's a character I loved from the very first issue. Because, you know, she was kind of like the cool goth older girl when I was reading the book. And, yeah. you know, we got to see her grow into someone who did not want to be a leader. She doesn't want to be a leader, but At she's all. the only person who can. Yeah. That, it, it kind of, honestly, that's how I feel about Cyclops. So, yeah. one more time, your top, your top three before your, your um, top two. My top three? Uh, Karma, Batwoman, and Wonder Woman. Karma? Batwoman and Wow, so so Karma so Batwoman doesn't even make your top two. So who are your top two? My top two are Wonder Woman and Batwoman. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Because okay. if I if I had to rank them, it would it's it's genuinely hard for me to separate Batwoman and Wonder Woman to one and two. But I think if I've got to like, you know, if we're talking you know, if I have to put it in my legacy box, it would be Wonder Woman, Batwoman, Karma Nico and Superman. Okay. Um, and just because I asked you, I will give my top five. Um, it's Wolverine and Deadpool are one and two. There's that's that's the one. Those are the two that like will never change. Uh, Kitty Pride is probably number three. Um, Frank Castle will probably be somewhere in the top five as well, only because like how he's been written. Um, T'Challa. Somewhere in that, and we also have I said Kate Pride, so fuck the um my uh shit I don't the last one maybe probably be Cyclops. It also fluctuates between Cyclops and like Cable, and because they're essentially the same person, because they understand how it goes. So let me just say this before we end this episode: I want to thank Mary the Sapphic Geek for just doing this because we have yeah. literally been recording for. Over three hours, almost four hours. So I want, yep. to, I want to thank you because both our wives are going to kill us. Um, tell everyone where they can find you and so on and so forth. Um, you can find me mostly on Twitter at SafficGeek. Um, I write things occasionally on ComicsUnmasked.com. I, I rant about various things. Um, but... Other than that, ironically, I'm not super involved online. Um, but yeah, my, I would argue that my primary method of communication is Twitter. Um, I am one of three hosts of the, I believe Victoria once called it the Drunk White Sorority Girl of Comic Book Podcasts. Um, Don't you have dudes panel. on there? <laughs> What'd you say? Don't you have dudes on there too? I do, and they both openly embrace this. You know what's um, funny about James this? Tra 
the one funny thing about that is that like if it was me and it was like oh the, like my wife calls me a teenage white girl because my because of my love for Taylor Swift, Avril Lavigne, and um, Ariana Grande. <laughs> nice. And mind you, I am a three hundred pound black dude, <laughs> and I absolutely love pop music, and I especially love Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift. She is. It is earworm after earworm. Earworm with that woman. Like. Um, and just so you know, I would love to have Victoria come on. I don't know if she does podcasts. I might have love to just have a conversation about just. And hopefully. See, we've, I've been trying for months, if not years, to get her to do an episode of Panel to Panel. Oh, no. Eddie. I want to do her an episode of just. I just want to do it. Marriage! And just like an idea, even if it's 30 minutes, of just talking about how. Because <laughs> I'll tell you after how I got my wife to get into this. But um, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for doing yeah, this. Yeah, no worries. I'm gonna try to I up. had a blast. Um, I would love to do this weekly. Just talk about comic book shit weekly if you could, even if it's just 30 minutes. Because you're one of my favorite guests because you know about uh-huh. shit. And um, tell James that like he needs to come on because I really feel that like <laughs> I can feel the anger and when we talk because he's like motherfucker like because (laughs) because honestly we disagree on a lot of a few things but we also agree on a lot of things oh yeah and james is great to debate with too because you know he gets really passionate but it's never personal absolutely unless unless i'm sending him gifts of jason momoa's body on um super friends aquaman's like riding dolphins um so i'm gonna hit him up and i'm gonna try to coordinate a a superhero comic book hotness thing because I would love to see how our top ten would rank. But oh, um God. but he's also really fun because he also likes a lot of things that I like, but he's fucking awesome and you're fantastic. So I want to thank you for coming on this. Uh and Travis is super dope too. Absolutely. That goes without saying. That that um can't see me, but I'm bowing to him. Um <laughs> This has been the Old Man Wade Show. This will be split up to probably about three or four episodes that will come out in the next few weeks. It will be fun, and you will love it. Until then, as always, be excellent to each other. Damn it, Wade!